Hi, I'm Taylor. I'm a student and a host of this podcast. Welcome to the Tay Talks podcast, a weekly conversation about wellness, life, travel, and healing. Thank you for joining me along my journey. You can catch me living my best life and being unapologetically me on Instagram at Tay Talks or by visiting my site, justtaytalks.com. The recording that you are about to listen to depicts examples of relationship abuse, trauma, sexual assault, rape, domestic abuse, and intimate partner violence. This is a very heavy conversation and can be difficult to listen to, even if you have not been in a similar situation. Please take care of yourself and feel free to leave the space, put your recording on pause, Put your head down at any time or go for a walk. You can seek help from a counselor, a therapist, a medical uh, provider, a physician, or one of the national resources on the resource page on my website. Also, this recording portrays just one example of relationship abuse, an issue that is prevalent amongst all types of relationships, no matter the gender, sexuality, class, ability, religion, or race. This recording is supposed to be used as a way to start a conversation about relationship abuse in many different types of relationships, whether it's someone you just met, someone that you're dating, someone that you're talking to, hooking up with, or in a committed relationship with, or simply just a complete stranger. I want you all to know that you are not alone If you are experiencing this, please know that there are resources available. We are back again for another episode. I have here Dr. Laura Sinko, who is um, the Director of Research and Evaluation at Our Wave, a nonprofit organization that's geared towards providing service and support and resources for those that have experienced uh, trauma that have experienced um, assault and um, overall just building a community where survivors of sexual assault are heard, believed, and supported. Uh, Their goal is to help facilitate the process of healing and um, building a community to really just have this conversation. And it's an online platform for survivors to share their stories, receive customized support, and join a community of understanding. Their goal is to empower survivors, educate society, and strategize to develop smarter prevention methods. Dr. Cinco is a PhD mental health nurse and a sexual assault nurse examiner. Uh, She has a passion for promoting healing through storytelling. Laura has a research expertise in gender-based violence, healing, and recovery, as well as trauma-informed storytelling methodologies. Laura serves as a mental health and sexual violence research consultant for Our Wave and wants to inspire and has a hope that the platform 
will help survivors find their voice and a sense of community while instilling hope that healing is possible. Awesome. Taylor, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, we're definitely excited to have you here. Thank you so much again. Um, so our first question is, can you just tell us a little bit about what our wave is and what role do you have there and kind of how did you um, start the work at our wave? Sure. So I'll start with a little bit of an origin story about how our wave came to be. Uh, and then I'll situate sort of the work that we're doing now and where we hope to go. Uh, so our wave is an online anonymous survivor story sharing platform, uh, particularly for survivors of sexual violence and abuse. Uh, and so really where I come into this work is I am a nurse by training. Uh, I'm a mental health nurse. Uh, and I was recognizing early on in my career that it seemed like in healthcare specifically, we were feeling a little bit nervous when we encountered folks who experienced trauma. And particularly in the mental health world, I noticed that people, especially clinicians, were often uncomfortable with having these conversations with survivors. And so going into that um, made me realize that that's some work that needs to be further developed to really provide better care for survivors of violence in the healthcare setting, but also beyond. Uh, so I went to get a PhD, uh, really focusing on survivor healing and recovery. And that's really what I wanted to understand most deeply. And through my work, I recognized that it was really easy to get survivors to come to me and share their stories about healing. And when I talked to some of these survivors, I recognized that many people wanted to share their stories uh, and be a part of this larger Me Too movement, um, but really feared having their identities tied to their stories through social media and online. And so because of that, um, I was interested in developing something that really would uh, create an online platform for survivors to connect, uh, but also to preserve their anonymity. And so I had this really cool idea and really didn't know who to collaborate with. And it sort of fell off the rails and never really came into fruition. And then at a conference, I met now the founders of Our Wave, Kyle and Brendan. Uh, and so they had already developed this same sort of thing uh, but was looking for collaborators who were content experts in the space. And so that was sort of a beautiful uh, molding of the minds to create what our wave is today, which really is a way for survivors to share their stories, reflect on what healing means to them, and then ultimately connect with other survivors and realize they're not alone. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I can definitely say for me, our wave, I came across um, y'all's page through Instagram, I think someone reposted a graphic and I was like, oh, let me check this out. And I'm so glad I did because uh, the Instagram and the just the infographics that have been posted have helped me so much in terms of dealing with my own um, trauma and sexual assault experience and just navigating through it. Um, this journey is not easy, um, as you know. So I think it's so awesome that you guys are able to collaborate and provide information and support um, for people all across the country. Uh, so today's topic will be about surviving after sexual assault, rape, and trauma. Uh, Laura and I will be sharing our personal experiences and also share what has worked for us along our journey. Um, we'll mainly be focusing on uh, talking about trauma responses, uh, forgiveness, and healing. And um, in order for us to really have a authentic conversation about um, sexual trauma, I think that we need to just go over um, some of the terms um, that we often hear. And 
I, it's challenging, right? It's not easy to define a sexual assault. It's not easy to define rape. Um, I know for me, especially, I've really struggled with defining this for myself. Uh, so I just wanted to, based off of our um, audience and like what people submitted, um, some terms to go over. Uh, we have gaslighting, uh, what is sexual coercion, and what is sexual harassment. Uh, so Laura, I don't know if you want to take it over now and start going through some of those, maybe even touching a little bit on assault, um, just to give a clear idea. Sure. So I'll start with sexual assault generally, and then we'll get into more of these specific terms. So defining sexual assault can be incredibly difficult. One, because there are legal definitions that might change by state, um, but there's also just like a national definition or understanding about what sexual violence or abuse might be. And so in terms of, I think the legal definition, that is, I think, less helpful to go over because it depends by state and not every survivor wants to report. And there's a lot of layers to that. But I want to talk about sexual assault more generally and what that, what that might mean for someone. Um, we live in a world where sexual violence kind of can be everywhere and it can often look or feel normal. And because of that, we can minimize our own experiences or think that our experience is not serious enough uh, to consider to be sexual violence. And so really when I think about sexual assault or sexual violence in general, really what it comes down to is consent. Um, and consent needs to be clear. It needs to be affirmative. It has to be sober. Um, and really ultimately what I've learned about consent is that it doesn't count if you were coerced or you didn't feel like you really had the ability to say no, or if maybe you were even too scared to say no. And so that goes into this idea of sexual coercion. And I think sexual coercion can make it really difficult to understand when what happened to you is abuse because it can be, it can feel really muddy. Um, but in fact, it actually is very clear. So sexual coercion is an unwanted sexual activity that happens when you're pressured, tricked, threatened or forced in a non-physical way. And that forced in a non-physical way, I think is where people get hung up, but you can be forced without any physical um, holding down or violence. And so coercion makes you think that you might owe sex to someone. Um, it might be someone who has power over you. It could be because of gender dynamics, um, but really it's important to recognize that no one is ever required to have sex with someone else. Just because you go on a date with someone and you go back to their apartment doesn't mean you owe them anything. And I think that can be hard because we get messages that might tell us differently. Uh, another thing that can be really difficult um, that can make understanding your experience really difficult is gaslighting. And gaslighting is this form of emotional abuse that we often see in abusive relationships, but it's important to recognize that our own friends and family might unintentionally gaslight us. And really that's the act of manipulating a person by forcing them to question their thoughts, memories, or the events that actually occurred around them. So saying things like, you're just being dramatic. That's not how it really happened. Um, and it can often cause you to question your own sanity or whether or not what actually happened to you is abuse. And so finally, um, there's actual sexual violence, um, but there's also sexual harassment which is a, a form of sexual violence that includes unwanted sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, or any sort of verbal or physical harassment in a sexual nature. And this can be in a workplace, in a learning environment. Um, 
And this can be often the things that we minimize, but these different sexual harassment um, experiences can really build up. Uh, and so, for example, even just having negative comments about being the woman in the group can be a form of sexual harassment. And as a woman myself, I think that that's something that we need to recognize. Anyone can experience sexual violence, but some of these harassment things, certain groups are disproportionately impacted. Also, people who are non-binary or gender non-conforming, they also can have some of these similar things. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I want to touch a little bit more on gaslighting because, I, like you said, it can be seen just with our friends and our family and those relationships that we have, but it also can be seen with an intimate um, partner. And for me personally, I um, have experienced a you know abusive relationship with gaslighting and ultimately leading to sexual coercion and all of that. Um, and so kind of wanting to touch base on what are some ways that you can notice the signs um, or have the conversation, talk about it, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and gaslighting can look different uh, for everyone, um, but there's certain things uh, that we can start to notice uh, in our own relationships in terms of gaslighting. And so the biggest thing I think for me when I notice gaslighting, it's when you really start to question your sanity or the reality of events that were experienced. And so my sort of words of wisdom are always trust your gut. You are the expert of your own experience. And if something feels wrong, it's probably wrong. And so I think um, those minimizing statements are a really clear first sign of gaslighting. So saying things like, that's not what happened. You're crazy. That's a big one that I've heard a lot. Trying to make you, make you sort of question whether or not you actually are in a right mental space to call something out. Uh, and I notice gaslighting a lot, particularly when you are trying to address someone about a behavior uh, that is problematic. And so I think it's really important in our relationships to, to recognize and think about the initial response to when we try to set a boundary or set a limit. Um, and if that boundary or limit seems to be respected by the person that you're saying it to, then that's healthy, right? If you're saying this is my limit, hopefully someone will say, okay, and work towards finding some sort of a compromise. But if their first reaction tends to be blaming, minimizing, uh, that might be uh, a sign that you might be uh, being gaslit. Awesome, thank you for sharing that. Uh, definitely resonated with me when you said, um, you're so crazy. Um, I definitely experienced that. And um, in times like for my own personal experience, I didn't even know that I was being um, gaslighted. Like I was so comfortable, I guess, in this space. And it wasn't until my peers were pointing it out when all of a sudden our work relations and our personal relations were, um, you know, uh, kind of like mixing up together. And that's where they were like, yeah, no, this is not right. This is not how you should be, you know, being um, spoken to. And I, until I like stepped back, and finally left that relationship, that's when I realized like, wow, I was totally being manipulated and I totally was being, my voice was being minimized. I wasn't being heard. And like you said, it was always whenever I wanted to bring something up or confronted something or if something made me uncomfortable and I said something, that's where I definitely saw a lot of the gaslighting tactics that you mentioned. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, and I think it's important what you said. Unfortunately, we 
can recognize gaslighting the best once we're out, mm -hmm. because then you're able to get out of that space. And like you said, bounce things off of folks that really do know you and know what you're worth and can recognize that maybe you're being mistreated. And so I also just wanted to mention, because of what you said, that it can be really easy for us to be so hard on ourselves when we get out of a relationship and we're like, how the heck did I not realize that I was being gaslit? And so while it's empowering, I think, to name it and say, yes, I'm not crazy. This was gaslighting. I also think it's important to do that full circular motion and look yourself in the mirror and say, it's okay. The reason why gaslighting works is because it works. It's a tactic that works on any person. Um, and so it's not your fault uh, that you were experiencing that because uh, we can be so hard on ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. I think for me in the beginning, I definitely was very hard on myself um, so much because in high school, I involved myself with organizations like Safe Horizon, One Love, all geared towards talking about unhealthy and healthy relationships, right? And I was beating myself up. I remember going to therapy and sharing like, how could I have missed all of this? when I was the one educating my peers, I was the one that was volunteering, talking with um, other survivors and victims. And it it definitely became full circle for me a little bit after when I realized like it wasn't my fault and I was being manipulated. Like I saw this person presented me, uh, presented themselves in a way that was great. And that's all I saw. And whenever they're around me, that's all they showed. But then when they were around others, that's, that was their true personality, you know? So. I definitely agree with that. Like, it's just to emphasize, it's not anyone's fault. It's not your fault. And there, I think this is where self-care and self-love um, definitely comes mm -hmm. into play. I've been focusing on that for the past six months or so, really just putting myself first, whether that's going for a walk or for me, it's actually having conversations like this with you and other um, professionals to kind of really understand what happened to me and what um, you know, advocacy work I can do. But I think, yeah, yeah, definitely taking time for yourself is so important. And to, you know, pat yourself on the back, <laughs> too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, acknowledge the small wins. You know, I think often we, we, when we think about healing, we think of these big things we want to accomplish. But even just getting up every day and showing up and meeting your responsibilities and going to bed is, is a victory when you're feeling like crap. So uh, yeah, I, I love what you said about finding the self-care that you need. And a lot of it can be education, advocacy. That is such an important, um, I really believe knowledge is power and recognizing that you're not alone and you're not at fault. And there's actually larger systems in place that really kind of profit off of us hating ourselves or, you know, suppressing violence or oppression. And so um, I think that that's just, it's really nice to hear your journey and where you, you know, the 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 hardness you had on yourself in the beginning and then how you know slowly letting that self-care in because you deserve it we all deserve it yes absolutely I agree with that um just switching lanes a little bit to talk about um the trauma response um I'll share my own personal experience uh in the in the event of the assault um my body froze I couldn't speak. I just was like praying and begging for it to stop. And um, literally within an hour or two after, 
um, I started bleeding like so much and I was Mm -hmm. bleeding for like a week and a half. And I didn't think that these things were um, a response, right? So at the time it happened, I didn't, I shared this with you. I I didn't even know that this was an assault, right? I thought thought this was all normal until I, I realized that this was, you know, this, this was my worst nightmare coming to life, yeah. you know, and yeah. um, I just want to talk a little bit about responses and how our body is able to remember things or how our body is able to react um, when we may not, when our mind may not know how to react. And this goes off of your topic of trusting your gut. I think for me, that was exactly what my body was doing. And um, I share this in therapy now, but I don't remember a lot of what happened. It's um, kind of fuzzy for me but my body remembers right I remember how uncomfortable I was I remember the bleeding I remember the pain um and so just to just share a little bit about what different trauma responses look like um someone asked is it normal to freeze is it normal to not not do anything and just lay there. Um, I mean, I feel like it's very normal. That's exactly what I experienced. Um, and I try to keep reminding myself, I'm definitely a, a fighter and someone who raises their voice, you know, to advocate when things are wrong. Um, but in that moment, I couldn't do any of that. And I, I try not to beat myself up um, because I know that that was what my body was doing for me at that time. But sometimes it can feel challenging. I mean, we definitely hear it. Um, in terms of victim blaming, right? Why didn't you say no? Why, why didn't you push them away? And that's, sometimes you can't. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's so important. And there's so much to unpack there. Um, I think I'll start with just trauma responses because I agree. I think hearing those, what different trauma responses might be can be so validating because uh, I'm with you. Uh, I am a researcher on healing, but I'm also a survivor myself. And so I was with you with that freeze response. And that freeze response, I think we end up being the hardest on ourselves because we feel like we didn't, why didn't we do anything? But it's just like, we couldn't, like it's the way our body naturally reacts to stress and real stress. Uh, And so let me just go through some of these responses because everyone has different responses, right? Um, So one can be fight. So kind of self-explanatory, right? Someone comes and they violate you and you push them, kick them, you know, whatever you do to fight back. And I'm a sexual assault nurse examiner as well. And I'll tell you, we get folks who who do fight, but that's not the norm. So if you do, if you are someone that fought, you know, great. Uh, And I I hope that that you were able to, to get away before anything bad happened. But even if you do fight, sometimes you can only fight so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Another response is flight. And so that is just that running away. So sometimes we're able to to get out of a situation and run out of it in time. Um, But often these things can be so manipulative that by the time you kind of get caught into it, it can be too late to to run. Uh, So that's a valid response. It happens. It doesn't always work out. Um, Then there's freeze. And that I think is the least understood um, in terms of just people going around. And I think it's very common for folks to say, why didn't you do X, Y, or Z? Uh, And in my own experience, I think when something really shocking happens, um, even animals do this, which I think is really interesting. Like it's not just us saying this, like it is a a response. Um, 
animals can either freeze, like they call it like playing dead. And not that you were necessarily playing dead, but when your body is under so much shock, it often can't process it quick enough and we can just physically be frozen. Um, and so because of that, I think that can stem a lot of blame. Uh, and I'll get more into that, but there is another response that we're learning more about that I think is worth mentioning called fawn. And so while freeze is to not really be making a choice, a fawn response actually kind of does maybe the opposite and tries to please a person to avoid any additional conflict. So this can happen in childhood trauma when a parent or authority figures an abuser. And so you can go in this fawn-like state where you attempt to avoid the abuse by really being a people pleaser and, and trying to just be really, really overly nice. Um, and I can share from my experience, I had that sort of freeze response. So I was sexually assaulted by um, a massage therapist. And so kind of had that freeze response, didn't really say anything. And I still go back and I'm like, gosh, Laura, like you do this for a living. Um, why, you know, I'm a sexual violence advocate. Like I, why didn't I say anything? But I was so frozen. Um, and then afterwards, sort of that fawn response kicked in. And I freaking tipped that jerk, <laughs> you know? And it's like, looking back, it's like such a fond response. Like I knew it was miserable, but I just wanted to get out as quickly as possible um, and just kind of people please. So I just think that's important to mention. Um, but the final thing I wanna touch on um, is that idea of not remembering everything that happened. Because I think that that is kind of the, when you don't remember all the details, you can even accidentally gaslight yourself and tell yourself that maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Maybe it didn't happen like that. Did I make that part up? Um, and so our brain very commonly can evoke a defense mechanism, which represses your memory, maybe due to the stress of the moment um, or for other reasons. And so your memories might not be as coherent as regular memories. Um, you might remember something really specific, like a smell, a sensation, more than the actual details of what happened and in what order. And so that can make it really difficult for reporting, um, but that also can get into that idea of triggers, because if there was a smell or a sensation, um, that might be triggering to you. So for example, in my experience, this, oh, and it's, I can't even say it out loud, but just like feeling his sweat dripping on my body. Um, that to me is like still ingrained in my memory. And so now I'm walking down the street and even like a raindrop hitting my bare skin, like I just, it just sets me, sets me off. And so while memories fade with time, um, the body really does remember those things. And so a quick book plug that really helped me in my healing, but the book, The Body Keeps the Score um, by Bessel van der Kolk I think is a really cool book because it shows how the body really does store trauma, even if our memories may not be coherent. So that's a lot of words, but I just feel like there's so much in that um, that really can impact the way you process your experiences. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I can definitely, um, you know, I was with you when you shared um, your response and your the triggers that you had. Um, smell is definitely one of my biggest triggers. Um, and it it's weird I can be shopping or walking through campus and I get like this whiff and I'm like freaking out right um I've also shared uh that sometimes it's like keywords um little things that will come up like if I'm texting friends or or even tone I've noticed um because I was often there was a lot of confrontation and it wasn't 
wasn't a healthy conversation. It was more like an attack. And so when I, when friends are talking to me or they're like, I have a friend who gets frustrated with me when I can't like express myself. Right. And she ends up being a little bit aggressive. I know she means, well, she's my best friend, like, come on, get it together. But that mm-hmm. response reminds me of, of that relationship. It reminds me of that pain that I felt in. And I think it's, it's interesting, right? It's, it's really interesting how we can remember our body can remember certain memories, like you said, but our mind may not, or in my case, I think my mind is kind of blocking the memory um, and blocking that pain. So definitely emphasizing trusting your gut and listening to your body for sure has helped me um, along this process. Um, And I do want to say thank you for sharing a bit about um, the fawn response. I didn't know a lot about it and um, just have heard it, you know, through conversation but not in so um in depth like this and I think for me as you were talking I was like thinking about my response and how I knew something was wrong and that entire summer I spent trying to like do my best to work with this person and I was like okay calling them asking them what they needed and being on their good terms um so yeah, I definitely, I'm laughing at myself right now because it's something natural that, you know, you don't even realize that you're doing. And even though you know that person has caused you so much pain or hurt or whatever it is, you're sometimes you can still, you know, just want to want everything to be okay. So there's no further issues or problems. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, so we'll shift a little bit um, into talking about healing um, with trauma you know, it's a huge healing process. And I always say healing is not linear. There's definitely ups and downs. Um, I've noticed for myself over the past month, my healing process has been, I've had a lot of highs, but I've also had a lot of lows. Like I, lately I've just been wanting to be alone and not deal with (laughs) the world. And so I think that that's also very normal um, to just, know and and I want to validate everyone's feelings who's listening um if you are going through it you know something traumatic and you're feeling up and down like that's okay too um so maybe if you can share a little bit about healing and what what maybe has worked for you um that might be helpful sure and so healing is something that I love to talk about it's something I built a career on just trying to understand healing and and just really talking to so many folks like yourself um, to just see what worked for them and see if we can come up with any sort of, obviously everyone's individual healing is going to look quite different, um, but are there things that we can do um, as a survivor community uh, to not feel so alone on our, or any common threads? Um, and so for me, though, there's a couple benchmarks that I've noticed in my work and in my own life. I think the first thing really is that labeling Labeling can be really scary and often for a while, we're not ready to label our experience. And I just wanna start by saying that's perfectly okay. You don't need a label to to heal from it, but I do think that there's something validating of at least acknowledging that what happened to me is wrong and it's not my fault. And that I think is like a foundation that healing can be built on because I think for for me, when my process first started, there was so much self-hatred and so much looking at yourself and saying, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you do anything? 
did you do enough now? Like, what if this person harms someone else? Is that on me? And it sort of can just continue and you can get in that spiral where you can just be so mean to yourself. And so, so I will say, so I think, I think labeling or at least saying what happened to me is wrong um, is huge. Um, and then I think there's a lot of like trauma processing and re-examining that needs to go on. And what I mean by that is exactly what I said with that self-blame. I think often our gut instinct after something happens might not be the fairest to ourselves. And so looking at your situation objectively uh, and really sharing that out, um, whether it's like talking it out with a, a third party, someone who you trust, um, or talking it out with a professional, um, I think getting someone else's opinion on the matter who cares about you or is knowledgeable about violence uh, can really be validating. But th there also is a caveat there because often we can share our story with someone and sometimes they don't say what they should. They don't respond appropriately. They either minimize us, they further gaslight us. And so one thing I will say to folks listening is you are worth a response that is meaningful. And there are people out there who will hear you and see your experience for what it is, which is truly an act of violence. So don't give up. If someone is, is not responding the way you should, it can really make us go in our own hole. And I know research shows that the first person you tell is really important because that will determine whether how you view your experience. So all that is to say, I think just wanted to put that caveat in because people can just not respond appropriately. And that doesn't mean it's on you. That says more about them and their experience and probably something that they don't want to admit about themselves, no matter what that is. Um, so yeah, I think examining it. And then I think of like these general benchmarks, right? So reconnecting with yourself. Often when we experience trauma, we don't know who we are anymore, especially if it's been long-term. You can sort of lose the essence of who you are or your identity, or it could make you question yourself. And so spending the time, uh, like you said, Taylor, to reconnect with yourself. What makes you happy? What brings you joy? And allowing yourself to feel that joy, despite all the hardship that you're going through. It doesn't mean that what happened to you isn't important if you feel joy in this moment. And letting yourself feel that, I think, is really important. And also to figure out how to incorporate your survivor identity into who you are, right? Because it's, I kind of find healing, like survivorship as an important part of who you are, but not all of who you are. There's so much more to you than being a survivor. And so wear that badge if you want to, wear it proudly, but also recognize all the amazing things that make you you. Because people can make a career on being a survivor, but sometimes you don't want to lose those other things that aren't a survivor that really um, kind of makes sense to you and resonates with you. So, and then finally, I think trying to really find your people, find the folks that love you for you, find the folks that you can be authentic with and be your true self. Because if you feel like you can't be that traumatized person in front of your core group of support people, then you're always gonna feel lonely because you're always hiding that part of you that might not go away. Uh, so that I think is really important. And then finally, um, recognizing that, you know, the world is awful, but there also is a lot of good and finding that hope and finding that peace and creating healing spaces where you feel whole, um, I think is really, really important. Uh, and I, I think being your own advocate, because at the end of the day, you are 
your best advocate and the expert of your experience. So really trying to find that. And so that's sort of like the big picture. Um, and on our wave, we, we do, uh, if you follow us on Instagram, we have a healing week that we did a while back that really went into each of those big domains in more detail and got more nuance into what the research says and things. So I, I welcome people to go there if they're interested. Um, but yeah, healing is so complex, but I think the most important thing to recognize is that it is possible no matter what you've experienced. Absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing. Yeah, I, what resonated with me, and I'll talk about it more in the Q&A portion, but um, you mentioned <laughs> the first person that you talked to, right, um, and that you disclosed to is, is really important because it determines how you'll disclose later on. Um, and luckily for me, the first person I disclosed to um, is a close family friend, and uh, she's a lawyer. And immediately she had her her um, lawyer hat on and she was asking me all these questions and wanted to know if I wanted to do something um, legally and I at the time I was only focused on healing and I was like I didn't even think and this is again going to that sometimes you can gaslight yourself and I was like I don't even know if this is something that can be done I was like I didn't think that this was a big deal and and things of that nature um, and I recall though the second person um, that I told was my mentor and she, someone who experienced trauma, someone who I look up to and she didn't understand. And she said a lot of things that were very minimizing. And like you said, it was, it can be a reflection of that person. Like she projected her own personal relationships with men and how she doesn't men don't like her and she doesn't have a relationship with men. And she said to me, well, this just seems like a, re a regular um, relationship issue. He was just using you like all men do. And mm -hmm. that was very invalidating. And I think for me, I recognized that it was invalidating. I recognized that that wasn't supportive um, and that's not what I wanted to hear. And I think that's also important in your healing process to know when things don't work for you or when things you know, make you upset. Um, for me, I personally don't process my feelings a lot. So that was like a big, a big step for me to go, okay, Taylor, like, this is how you're feeling towards this, and you didn't appreciate it. And it's not what worked for you. And this is what you need. And it's allowed me to build um, my healing circle, or, you know, my supportive circle with people that I know, that have supported me people that I can be who I am. I can be both a student and a friend and a sister and at the same time also be a survivor. And I think knowing what has worked for me and knowing what hasn't has definitely allowed me to mold these trusted support groups um, because I can be my authentic self. I can be unapologetically me, you know, and I think that's really important because again, <laughs> there's going to be days when you're super upset. There's going to be days when you're sad, when you're happy. Um, and there's gonna be days when you feel alone, like the entire world doesn't understand what's going on. Um, and so having, having that support system, whether it's, um, you know, organizations, uh, resources, um, therapists, friends, third parties, whoever it is, I think it's really important to just acknowledge that you're never alone. And I think for me, I kept this in for seven months without sharing it with anyone. And I felt very alone. I felt, I felt like no one would understand if I shared, no one would believe me. And when I finally did, I was like, wow, this is really like, this is my story and it's not all of who I am, but this is a part of me. And 
and people understand people people are supporting me um so yeah i think all of that for me that's what kind of what has summed up my healing journey and experience for sure yeah and i think that that's so important um it's it's so important to be able to recognize that even people who we might look up to they might not understand or speak in the way we want them to and that could be so difficult something else i wanted to mention too that i think no one tells you like not that there's a survivor handbook, although maybe there should be, but like healing is also hard work. It's mm -hmm. so hard and it requires like, sort of like being engaged and tr trying things out for size and and really doing some work. And, and I don't think I personally thought about that. You know, I kind of was like, oh, you know, we hear healing is possible in time. And that's totally true. Like time really does help, but you also, people I feel like tend to do better when they put themselves out there and and learn how to take risks and figure out what boundary is a hard boundary like this is something that is not okay for me based on what i experienced and what is something that you can slowly start to rebuild in terms of maybe initially you might want to say i never want to be touched by a man again right that might just be our initial response nope not doing it so maybe for the first year maybe you don't really get in a relationship and that's fine. That's actually a good idea if you're not ready. But then does that mean that you might never be with another guy again? I don't think that necessarily has to be true. It's like slowly challenging yourself to recognize what is discomfort based on what my traumatized brain is telling me and what is actually a lack of safety. And that is also really difficult to learn, but I think is important to mention. Absolutely. And I think that, um, is a great segue into the Q&A because someone asked a question um, in regards to getting back into a relationship and after you've experienced trauma and how did you um, how did you deal with it? And what is, they say, any advice? Um, because I really like this person, but I'm also a little bit scared to, to trust again. Um, yeah. That is such a good, oh my gosh, I feel for this person because I've been that person and it's really, really hard. Um, and so there's like a lot of, there's a lot of levels to this because the first thing is, you know, you want to make sure you're ready and we don't want to push ourselves into situations that don't feel right. But if you find a person that seems really worthy of your trust uh, and you feel like this might be a good person for you, um, there's a couple of things to think about. So unfortunately, it's really hard to have an authentic, trusting relationship if you've experienced something as, as huge in your life as sexual assault and the person you're with doesn't know. That being said, it's really important to think about no, no one, you don't need to tell your story to anyone. Your story is your story and you have the right to say it when you want and you have the right to not disclose it when you don't want. Um, but so sometimes I think even just letting someone know that something bad happened to you, I think that there can be steps, right? So maybe you start with something like, maybe something happens where you get freaked out or something happens in the relationship that's not so great. And so you might overreact or feel like you did something emotional and they're concerned about you. And so maybe you could start with something like, I wanna tell you what happened to me, something bad happened to me. And I wanna tell you about it eventually but I don't really feel comfortable sharing any details right now, but just know it's not, it's not what you did. It's just when you 
for example, I can think of my situation, like there's something about just like feeling sweat drip on me that I just, I, it really messes with me. And I want to tell you more about that maybe at a later time. And so I think it's okay to, to start like telling your story in, in installments like or in little pieces. Um, you don't have to just say, blah, here's everything that happened to me. Or on the flip side, maybe you can, right? I think you know the person, you know your own comfort, but it's important to think that it's on your terms. And so you can tell as much as you want or as little as you want. Um, and so I do think though in, in, that, in that space that clear communication and boundaries is really what makes relationships work after trauma. Having a partner that can recognize, you know, these are certain things I'm not okay with doing. So in my case, like, sorry, like these sort of like cute massage things, like don't do that, <laughs> just don't. It's not gonna be good for you, it's not good for me, it's not helping anybody here. Um, and so I think setting those boundaries um, can be really, really important and not being ashamed of that because they might have boundaries too. And I think we often think that we're the only ones that have experienced all these things because it's just natural, you feel so alone, but maybe that might encourage them to talk a little bit about their trauma or about things that they're not okay with. And it can often be like a breath of fresh air, like, oh, you have boundaries too. Like this is sort of my boundaries. Um, so I think that those two things, boundaries and a really well carefully um, planned or carefully um, felt disclosure uh, is really helpful. Absolutely. I'd also would add, um, in terms of boundary setting, part of that is communicating and communication is a big thing. I think for my own personal experience, um, I'm now experiencing what I call healthy um, relationships, love, whatever. Um, whereas before it was all unhealthy, right? And so for me right now, I, I don't know how to respond to this because I've never received this kind of like goodness I guess um, I was surrounded by good love with my parents yeah. and grandparents but for me personally like with my own intimate relations I didn't experience that and one thing that has worked for me is communicating exactly what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with um, and part of that does stem from this trauma um, you know certain things like sexual intercourse I'm not I'm not comfortable with that at this time and I think that I recognize when I expressed that, that person was okay with that and understood. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like I never, never experienced that. And it, it is a breath of fresh air when you set those boundaries and when you explain it. And, and honestly, after I explained in paragraphs, um, you know, long phone calls, they ended up responding to with something that they weren't comfortable with or uh, what they didn't want. And I think that it's really good um, when you do have that healthy communication and when your boundaries are respected, because again, going off of what we've been saying this entire um, conversation is, you know, you, your feelings are valid, your boundaries are valid, and you should be, you know, given the respect that you deserve. And so if, if something is not comfortable, that's okay. And I think that something I wish I could tell or what I would love to tell my younger self is it is okay for you to share how you feel and that those are your feelings and and if that's how if something's making you uncomfortable that that's fine you know and if there's something that's being done that you're not okay with express that don't don't stay quiet so that to please someone else and I think that's definitely yeah. something I would share with myself for sure it's so important and you know it's interesting I've 
in talking to survivors and my work mostly is storytelling work and hearing people just like basically tell what happened to them and, and talk about their healing. And what, what I find so interesting is that people often view vulnerability as a weakness, right? Because we're taught like vulnerable is like you're easily broken when actually the people who can be the most vulnerable are often the folks that I find that have the most internal strength. Uh, and so I think challenging that narrative that being vulnerable is weak um, can help us recognize that being vulnerable is healthy, being vulnerable helps us get our needs met and being vulnerable helps us be our authentic selves. And I do think that the best relationships are built on authenticity and feeling seen for who we are. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, we can go into the next uh, uh, statement that was submitted. Um, the person reads, I'm struggling with forgiving myself and I keep replaying things in my head, wondering if I could have done something different. Any advice on how to deal with this? Yeah, gosh, that's so real. Um, Self-blame and regret and shame are such common feelings as much as they shouldn't be after experiencing sexual violence. And so it's really tempting to blame yourself or the way you responded. Um, but no matter what happened, it's never your fault. Um, but I think it's easy to say that, but um, it might be hard to think about how do we combat that shame? Uh, and so the one thing, and Taylor, you touched on this before is education. And so learning about trauma responses to recognize that what you did was a perfectly normal, healthy, response. It shows that your body's working, for example, if you froze. Um, and also just learning about violence in our society generally, because violence is systemic, um, not only sexual violence, but all violence. And so these things that occur to you are not a personal failure. Um, there is really a lot of infrastructure that perpetuates this. And so learning about that, I think, can have us look at our experience with a critical lens and realize that we are not to blame. Uh, and then another way I think to combat that is to share your story. Like I said, getting it out there, whether it's to a trusted person, um, a trained counselor. Um, and so our wave where uh, our website can also be a way, um, a, a little gateway I think of to really kind of externalizing your experience and putting pen to paper anonymously and just putting it out, putting it out there and putting words to it um, because that can be really difficult. Um, and even just hearing the experiences of other survivors. So folks tuning in, um, if you are a survivor listening, uh, this is really cool what you're doing. You're educating yourself about what healing might look like. And so I think that by hearing other people's stories, it also can provide some validation um, for ultimately uh, what you experience. So I think really the final thing, um, and there's so many things, and this is such an amazing question, um, but really trying to practice that radical self-love and self-care. Uh, and so self-care doesn't have to be these fancy nail salon appointments and bubble baths. Like self-care can simply be turning your phone off at 9 p.m. and not opening it until the morning so that you can get good sleep. Um, and so really thinking about how can you care for your trauma wounds as if they are an inner child and really being gentle with yourself. Uh, and so just, ultimately just no one deserves what you experienced. And it is so normal also having those thoughts and questions. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I actually talked about forgiveness um, and how I've been struggling with that on my um, Instagram page a couple of weeks ago. And I shared how 
it's been really difficult because I feel that if I forgive myself, am I forgiving my assaulter? And that honestly it crosses my mind every single day. Um, and it and that scares me because I I hate this person with my entire gut and want nothing to do with them. And I I shared how forgiveness can be so complex. And like throughout the video, I talked about how for me forgiveness, like you just mentioned, is that gentle effect and healing that inner child in a way. And I've noticed that the way I'm forgiving myself is by caring for myself and really just being gentle and being patient with my journey and my development. Um, I do, I try to do a monthly reflection and think about where I was like three months ago, I would probably wouldn't have been able to have this conversation with you. And just acknowledging the small things really make a difference in terms of forgiveness. Um, I definitely have gone through the process of replaying things, um, questioning myself. Um, for me, the, my situation um, lasted for almost a year and there was a, a pause um, that I, I talk about this, this time last December, I was like, okay, I don't wanna be involved in this anymore. And I said, no, and it stopped, but then, it, it came back around, you know, the next year. And I, I go through this process of if I had just kept on saying no, 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 no. Would I have experienced this assault? You know, what would I, would it have happened? And I think that that's also normal too. But I think for me, just reminding myself that this wasn't my fault. And it's a learn, it's been a learning process for me too. And, and again, educating yourself on the signs on the having the conversation, being able to express yourself has definitely helped me a lot um, to know that my story and my experience is valid. Yeah, and that's such an important reflection. And unfortunately, our brains, we are, our inner critic is always in full swing, just in general. But when it comes to these things, it's like an easy target. We can be so hard on ourselves. And so I think what you said is absolutely right. Like those things will come up matter how, and healing is not linear, no matter how far along you are, that little cringe, that self-doubt that I could have done something differently might be in the back of your head. And so a strategy that I try to employ when that happens to me is acknowledging it, like that's the inner crit critic talking. And is this helpful to me? Is this helping me at all? Or is this just sort of raking me over the coals and ruining my day? Uh, and so sometimes I think just labeling it like, oh, that's that voice, that, that critic, that, that, liar that keeps telling me that x y or z um sometimes can just like acknowledge that that's not really my brain that's just some person that's the messages i receive from the media that's the messages i get from all these other places and i deserve to feel good right now and that is in the way of that so i just resonate with what you're saying too and i constantly have very similar thoughts uh, and i think that that's normal but it sucks <laughs> yeah it, it does suck um, and I guess this is a good segue into the other question. Um, can you go over intimate partner violence and abuse? Um, does it count as sexual um, violence or is it something completely different? Another great question. Your, your listeners have such good insight. It, it's so complicated, right? Like intimate partner violence and sexual violence often so frequently co-occur they might happen at different part times in your life. They might happen simultaneously. You can definitely be sexually assaulted or raped by an intimate partner. 
um, just because you've had consent and you've had sex with someone willingly before doesn't mean that consent is never implied. So you can have sex with someone and then they can still assault you the next week, month, year. Uh, and so I, I think we often spend a lot of time trying to say, what is, is this, this, is this, this, you know, trying to figure out all that. And I think, again, my, my sort of go-to response is, is trust your gut. Uh, we know that intimate partner violence is when you experience violence with someone that you're involved with intimately, whether you're married, dating. Um, and so if someone in that space is sexually coercing you or trying to pressure you to do sexual things or, or forcing you to do sexual things, then that can be an assault or maybe even a rape. And so those are things that I think everyone defines on their own terms. Uh, and not everyone's ready to make those distinctions, but I will definitely say that they very frequently co-occur. And there are some intimate partner violence that ha doesn't have a sexual component. Maybe it's more physical, maybe it's more emotional. And that is also very valid trauma that might manifest a little bit differently, um, but still can be trauma in its own right. So I think of it as almost like circles and it's like concentric circles. Like they can overlap, but they don't have to necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, for me, I've definitely experienced a combination of both the the physical sexual abuse and then the emotional component of abuse um, and even mental, like all of it. And it's, I think for me, this is why this experience has been extremely cloudy um, and because there's so many different moving parts and it's my experience, my journey wasn't a clear, it wasn't the the idea of what the media or what we're taught in school, it happens you know, with a stranger in a dark alley. That wasn't my case at all. I knew this person, mm. you know, I trusted this person. And so I think that's, again, it's everyone's experience is different, right? And they're all valid and just reassuring to those that are listening, if you are a survivor, it's okay if your story is not what's being you know, filmed on TV. Um, yeah. And it's okay to have lots of questions about it too. Yeah, that's so important. And then uh, we can do one more question. Um, how did you tell your friends and family? That is another good question. Um, and it can be so daunting to bring these things up. And so I mentioned this previously, but it's important to recognize for yourself that who you tell your story is, is up to you. Um, so it's okay to tell someone immediately. It's can, okay to tell someone much later or maybe not to tell some people at all. Uh, it's really your choice. Um, so if you're feeling ready to tell someone about what happened, uh, there's a couple of things you might wanna think about. Uh, and so I'll walk through those details and I'll tell you a little bit about my experience because um, you know everyone's experience is a little different. Um, so like I mentioned before, um, sometimes people might sense something's wrong. Um, maybe someone actually might know something happened but not know what. And so just because someone asks you about something doesn't mean you need to say more than you planned or more than you want to. So like I use the example wording, I wanna tell you what happened to me, but I don't feel comfortable sharing any details right now. And that if someone loves you and cares about you should be enough. Although for folks that love and care about us, that might like their warning bells off, like, but I wanna help you. And so I think when people really wanna help, they can often um, be persistent. So recognize that if you're not ready, you're not ready. Um, and so the way you choose someone to tell someone is up to you. 
Um, so depending on how you feel, it could be in person or maybe over the phone is better, or maybe even just a letter if you wanna get it out there and not really hear that reply right away. Uh, and so there's benefits and drawbacks to all of these things. Um, but another thing that might be helpful is to set some ground rules um, in terms of, okay, I'm gonna tell you this thing, but you know, don't, in, don't interrupt until the end or you know, whatever ground rules make sense to you. Um, and so also if you're disclosing in, in person, you wanna make sure the timing and location makes sense because you want the person to give you your, their full attention and then have time to process afterwards. So often, and this is sort of, I mean, I am, I'm sort of saying these things and I didn't do these things, but if someone's about to like run out the door or go to sleep, or if you're intoxicated, it might not be the best time to tell someone. Although like I like did it, my first disclosure was when I was drunk to one of my friends because that was the easiest thing to do. And so like, I'm just saying that I say these things, but you know, it doesn't always happen. But then of course, then it's the next day and then it's awkward, like, do you remember what I told you? And then you just don't quite get that response that you really need. And so if I could do it over again, I wouldn't do it um, in that way. Really having a private, quiet place to talk um, is important. And also there might be some people who you are nervous about telling because they might be angry or violent. I'm not sure the people in your life, not everyone responds in these very therapeutic ways, but it might be important for them to know these things for a certain reason. So maybe a public location, maybe like a coffee shop might be good depending on your situation. Um, and so really with me, what, what sort of happened was I had my experience and it was kind of interesting because I, um, was in a relationship. I was, I'm actually, we're engaged now, but we were dating for years. And so I went to get this massage, came out and was like, what just happened to me? Um, and so I remember like calling my friends initially because I didn't want to my fiance or he wasn't my fiance at the time, but I didn't want to tell him because I'm like, he's going to kill this person. Um, so I remember calling my friends uh, and kind of like laughing about it in a weird way. Like this really weird thing just happened. And like, I remember saying like, I think it should be flattered, but like, it was really weird. And like, looking back now, I like cringe, like Laura, what? Like you flattered, that's disgusting. But it's just so funny, you know? And so I told my friend in this like joking way um, and she's my best friend, but then that was kind of tough because going back and like, once I processed, this was actually like an assault and was wrong. Going back to her, she was really struggling with, but you called me and you seemed fine. And like, you were kind of laughing about it and now you're really upset. And so it's just, all that is to say, like these disclosures often don't go as clean um, as you'd like them to go. So there's no like, no, try to resist that feeling of, of hard, being hard on yourself when things go weird because our bodies react to trauma in strange ways. Um, I think the hardest disclosure for me was telling my, my mom. Um, we had some sexual violence in our family previously with, with folks in my immediate family and knowing how much that hurt her, I like did not want to put her through that again. So I waited a really long time to tell her, but there was getting to a point where I was like, this is a part of me and this is the work that I do. And I need to, I need you to know because you're my mom. And for me, that was important. And so I told her and she cried uh, and it was awful. Um, and I cried <laughs> and it's one of those things that it, it couldn't have really gone better. She learned how to respond. I think, unfortunately, um, she's learned the hard way. She didn't respond the best when she heard things in the past. And so I think she's learned. Um, but that was a really difficult thing. And I still haven't told my dad, not because I don't 
want him to know. But for me, I was like, I think my mom might tell him and I just don't want to have that conversation. And for me, that worked. And so I think the moral of the story is, I think there's going to be disclosures that go poorly. There's going to be disclosures that go great. And there's going to be people who you still love, but you just maybe don't want to tell them for whatever reason. And that's also okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Um, I definitely resonated with a lot of what you shared. Um, I think for me, I went through the entire end of the summer trying to figure out how do I share this? And I was talking, I see a therapist, I was talking with a therapist and um, she mentioned what you said, you know, set the boundaries, set your ground rules. And I, when I told I told the um, my mom's best friend who was a lawyer and then I disclosed it in therapy and then the next person was my friend and we were catching up you know the entire we haven't seen each other since March since the start of the quarantine right and uh, we were finally back on campus and going on our walk and she was kind of just like hey so what's going on with this guy and I was like oh no and I, I went in and she was my, she's been my friend since fifth grade and so she was super supportive of me um, and angry, um, actually very angry and kind of also why I didn't want to share with her because I knew she'd react and I didn't, I didn't want the drama around it. Right. Um, and, you know, she was the same person who was with me in the library on a Sunday night for studying. And um, I was just like, I have to tell my dad, like, I have to talk to him. And one thing that I was told during this process was that you will know when you're ready to disclose. And I, it felt like I had to like pop this bubble. I felt like I was being trapped in my head and thoughts. And, um, you know, I called my dad and I had asked him if he was alone or was my mom in the room and he was alone. I was like, okay, well, I need to talk to you. Um, I want to let you know something bad has happened. I just want you to listen. I don't feel comfortable about talking um, through everything. And my dad, I wanted to disclose to him first because he's in social work and um, he did a lot of um, sexual assault prevention right after college and that was like his first job and so he's worked with survivors um, and I was like this like he will understand and I was like but yeah. at the same time he's gonna want to drive up to my school and like this works it <laughs> and so I I told him and I felt so loved and felt so supportive um and, you know, he had questions and I, I was like, I don't want to talk about that. That's not what I feel comfortable with right now. And it's, I grew up in a Caribbean household. So telling your parents like, no, that's not what I want to do is definitely a culture shock. And he was like, okay, but he respected it. And I, I truly mm -hmm. value that relationship that we have because it made me feel safe and made me feel comfortable and just validating. And we, you know, both kind of, I was sobbing the whole time, but he was tearing up, asking if I was safe and all these great reassuring things. Um, but I also haven't told my mom. And that's definitely something that I'm struggling with. Similar to you, my mom um, growing up, she, there was sexual violence within um, her like friendship circles and um, like her community, the people who she surround herself with all day. Um, and it don't think it's necessarily happened, um, you know, within our immediate family, but definitely the people that she considers her family, right? And so mm -hmm. I know that this topic is very sensitive um, for her. And, um, but I also think for me, I don't know how she'll react. Whereas my dad, I'm like, okay, he's gonna be, it's gonna be a logical response, hopefully. Yeah. But with my mom, I don't know, it, it could really go a lot of different ways. And I think that 
that's what kind of makes disclosure a little bit hard. Um, and what I'm kind of reminding myself is that I can't control others. I can only control what I share. Um, yeah. And even with a, my close friend who I consider my sister, um, I called her that night it happened and I was crying. And, um, and she was like, okay, like, I mean, but you've, it seems like everything is okay. Like you said, this just happened. And I was like, yeah, but like, I don't feel comfortable. And then I called her later on and I was like sobbing. And she said the same thing. She was like, but you just called me like two hours ago and you were fine. And I was like, yeah, but now I'm not because I'm, I'm bleeding uncontrollably and something is not right right now. Yeah. Um, and so I think just acknowledging again, going back to acknowledging your feelings and acknowledging that it's okay to kind of be all over the place and it's okay to not share with everyone. It's like you said, it's on your terms and it's however little or however much you want to share and that's okay too. Yeah, so many important insights. What you said, I think there are so many things that resonated with me. Um, and, and I love that idea about being selective with your story and when you know, you know, and sometimes things feel right. Um, yeah, and, and the power, I, I, you mentioned one of your friends getting angry. It's sort of a fine line, right? Like anger in itself, like I don't want someone to actually go cause drama, but there is something sort of validating about someone being like, F that, that sucks, right? Like I remember in my sort of intoxicated disclosure, my three best friends from high school, we were having brunch and we were drinking mimosas and I was like, oh my gosh, I love these girls. Like they're so, my such close friends and I feel like they don't know this about me. And I just feel like, I'm a little, have a little liquid courage. Like, I think it's time. Um, and I remember just like sort of mentioning it to them and being really afraid because I knew at the time that was so much later that I was like, if they respond poorly, this is going to really hurt me. But I get like a bubble about to burst. Like I, I have to tell them. And I just remember their response was so validating. Just like, was, they were so angry for me. They weren't going to go trash his house because they don't even know where this person lives but they were just like oh my gosh what like what and it was just kind of nice to hear from just like not my mom who was like I'm worried about you I care about you but my friends are more just like no f that like and that just felt so good so I will say I think you know what you need and you sort of know how folks will respond and so because of that I think waiting for some maybe more emotional disclosures might be helpful. Um, but yeah, there's just so much there. One other thing I wanted to throw out there while we're talking about this, because I'm aware that there probably are some folks on the, who are listening to this that maybe aren't a survivor, maybe are, but might experience someone disclosing violence to them. Um, and so I wanted to walk through really quickly, like kind of some framework on how to respond. Because often if we love someone, we want to immediately go into problem solving mode. And while that can be helpful, sometimes like a survivor is just straight up not ready to like be making any decisions about reporting or like, oh my God, please give me a second to feel this thing. So just to give yourself a framework, if you're nervous, um, that's one might disclose to you or you wanna respond appropriately. So the first thing that I would say is just to listen. So like, do not interrupt, let them say their piece. Don't ask any questions at first, like just sort of let them say their monologue because they've probably been saying it in their head multiple times before they disclosed it. Um, the next is just to believe. So I think often it could feel weird to be say like, I believe you, some situations that might feel strange, but there is something about being like validating, like, wow, that is wrong and messed up. And I believe what you have to say and I am here for you. Um, so I think verbalizing that belief can be really helpful for survivors, or at least verbalizing, wow, that was wrong. You are right. Like, you are not to blame. I think getting that out there 
um, depending on the situation can be really helpful. Um, and then sort of just like that support. So the, a really good question that I found that folks seem to think is helpful is just the, the question of how can I be helpful? What do you need from me? And maybe it is, you know, I just need you to be there because sometimes I get really upset at night and I just would love someone to call just to like hash this out. Or maybe you're saying, I don't know if I should report. Like, would you be willing to come with me um, to the police station to see if this is something I want to do? Or would you be willing to help me do some research on what my next move might be? They might have something really specific. They're probably telling you for a reason. They might just say, you know, I don't really need anything. I just want you to be here. And that can be good enough. And then finally, I think referring and connecting people to additional resources, because you don't have to be an expert on trauma. Uh, unless that's your day job, like you don't have to be. But I think it's important to know one or two resources in your back pocket that you could say, hey, did you know that Rain has a sexual violence hotline 24 seven? Here's, I have their number if you would like it. Or um, there's some really cool organizations locally. Uh, here's one that I know, uh, if, when you're, if you're willing or if you're ready. I think sometimes people don't even recognize all these free resources that are available. And so if you know a couple, then you don't have to be the expert, but you can refer someone so that they can get longer term care if they need it. So that is, I just wanted to throw that out there because I think we all wanna be good friends, but it can be so scary. We might wanna like insert our emotions into the experience. But if you think of this formula and framework, you actually will be a better listener and probably a better position to help your friends and family. Absolutely, I definitely agree with those. Um, and I actually had a conversation with um, another survivor, close friend, um, and she disclosed to me. And she said that the best thing that was super helpful for her, I didn't, like, I didn't project my feelings and I didn't tell her, yeah, this is like, you experienced this rape. I shared with her, um, you know, resources. I shared with her what worked for me and maybe this might help her. And I told her, you know, I'm here to support her and believe her. Um, and we talk about how you know, disclosing again is really hard. Like you said, most folks, including myself, we have a script in our head already with what we're going to say. Um, so listening is really important. And I think something too, if you don't know what to say, it's okay to not say anything. Um, for me, I know that just sharing my story and the, again, the more I speak about it is the more validating it is for me. And the more I come to terms with it and acknowledge it um, and accept it, that it happened. Um, so just being that listening ear for that person can really go a long way too. Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned RAIN, so this would be perfect to end with some uh, resources that you know of. I'm also sharing a little bit about being a sexual assault um, nurse examiner and talking about that. Um, and so if you would mind sharing a little bit about your role um, as a nurse and what that entails and how people can reach out to you all. Sure. Um, so great resources are RAIN. Um, if you look it up online, uh, RAIN is a great resource. They're um, doing a lot of cool work in the space. Um, another great resource, uh, the Me Too movement recently started a survivor healing series. Um, they were having webinars every Thursday night. And I say webinars, which sounds so boring, but it's not boring. Really, it's kind of like this. There are two, I mean, the, the ones that I sat in on, there were like two survivors that were super cool and relatable and just talking about things like radical self-love. How do you do that? How do you actualize that? So the Me Too movement is doing some great work. And I think that some of those webinars are on their website. So take a look at that. 
Um, and then we have NSVRC, the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, again, has a lot of resources. They are a treasure trove of information. Um, and then we have our wave, which is where I'm a part of. Um, and so right now we're doing a lot to try to increase community. Um, so we're building in slowly some features where you could connect anonymous, anonymously with survivors online, um, but we also want to eliminate some of that like trolling. And so we're just trying to make sure we're rolling that out in a way that is sensitive um, and not censoring, but also making sure the community stays safe. So that's a work in progress. So please keep checking back with us at our wave. Um, we also post a lot of resources on our Instagram um, in terms of frequently asked questions, kind of like we did today and just sort of walking through um, what the research says and also just what, um, what is out there. Um, so finally, I am a sexual assault nurse examiner. Uh, and so there's a couple things about us that I would love everyone to know. Um, one, be, it, going to see someone like me is not for everyone. Um, it is definitely something that um, is a personal preference, but I do often think that we don't forget, we kind of forget when we have an assault, how much our health can actually be impacted. So Taylor, you mentioned like some of the bleeding that you experienced, um, even some like the bruises, like especially if like someone like puts their hands on your throat, like there can be some internal damage. So really checking in with a healthcare provider uh, can be really important after particularly violent experiences. Um, and so for a sexual assault nurse examiner, we are available 24 seven. Um, we, our exams are free. Uh, so you don't need insurance to go through, do a SANE exam, uh, which I think is something that people don't often know. Um, and you also don't need to report your experience to have a SANE exam. Um, and so just so I keep saying SANE exam, but SANE is short for sexual assault nurse examiner. Um, and so what we do is we gather a history about what happened. Um, we collect evidence. Um, so if there's any like semen or blood or hair, or anything, we try to collect that. Um, and we also might photograph some injuries if you have them. And so the purpose of saying really is to one, make sure your, your health is okay after these experiences, but two, it's to gather evidence. And so you can go, choose to go through a formal reporting process. And so then we might link up with a police officer on your case and give them this evidence. Um, but the other thing you can do is we call it a Jane Doe kit, which is you can go to someone like me, we can collect evidence and we can store it for a certain amount of time and it varies by state. And so some people might say, you know, I'm not really ready to disclose or report now, but if this guy keeps harassing me or keeps coming back, I might wanna report maybe later. Uh, and so with that, we can collect the evidence immediately, but then we can store it. So then if in a year you want to report and that's the, that still works for your state, then we can still take that evidence and apply it to your case. Um, because I think often that decision to report or not is really complex and difficult um, for people. And so just having that option open is helpful. So I will say, if you do plan on getting a SANE exam, getting it within the first 48 to 72 hours is going to be the best. The quicker, the better. Um, we really do, you know, the, the longer you wait, just the more evidence seems to kind of go away with time. Um, and something else that's really small, but I, you, I wouldn't know it if I wasn't a sane. Um, if you do want to report, let's say it's like you want to go the next morning because it's late at night, take anything you have and put it in a paper bag. Um, that's what stores the evidence the best. And so like if, if your underwear you were wearing or the pants you were wearing or anything that you think might have any bodily fluids on it, put it immediately in a paper bag and try not to touch it and bring that in with you. 
um, because that is really important. So just some, some tips that I've learned along the way, um, but just know that healthcare providers, nurses, we're resources for you, um, but we also aren't the only resource. So again, it's not for everyone, um, but it's good to know that it's free, it's there, uh, and we are here to support you. Awesome, thank you. And can you just um, share where would someone go if they wanted to get a SAN exam? Do they go to a hospital or is there a clinic? Great question. So every place is a little bit different. Um, for sure, if you call the police, they'll link you with us because we collect evidence. But if you don't want to report, um, the best place to go is to any sort of healthcare provider. The, the most frequent, I would say, because I mean, it's different by state, is the emergency room. And so I know for me in Philadelphia, we have our standing clinic that you can come directly to us if you know about us. But more often than not, folks go to the emergency room, they get the, an assessment to make sure they're okay. And then if they're medically cleared, they'll come to our center or we'll come to you in the emergency room. So it really depends on the state and where you live, but SANE should be available 24 seven. They're even doing the telehealth SANEs now with COVID. Uh, so please don't think that just because it's COVID that you can't be supported. Um, but the quickest and most kind of foolproof way is probably the emergency room or in urgent care. Perfect, thank you so much. Um, that really is all my questions. Um, Laura, I don't know if you have anything else that you'd like to share with the audience, um, please feel free. But I just wanna thank you again so much for talking um, with me today about this. This is definitely a conversation that needs to be held, needs to be normalized. Um, and I'm glad we were able to um, chit chat and also just, you know, inform the audience, but also inform myself. I took down a lot of notes um, that I definitely want to share with uh, my audience, um, but that even helped me dealing with my own um, journey right now. So thank you so much. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing else for me to add. I just want to kind of close with this idea that healing is so hard and it's like so understated how difficult it is, but it is, it truly, truly, truly is possible. And I'm lucky enough to witness it every day in my work. I see folks at all ends of the spectrum in terms of where they're coming from. Um, and I just really appreciate you all listening in, tuning in, trying to learn more about survivorship, whether you're a survivor or not. Um, and with that, I just hope you don't feel alone uh, and know that people like me and other folks are always here to support you. So thank you. Thanks for tuning into Tay Talks this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode and be sure to tune in next week. If you have any updates, advice, stories, any tea you want to share with me, Feel free to follow me at Tate Talks on Instagram and send me your messages. Stay safe.